Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. And in the previous program, I was explaining how people serve the devil and his demons, and they can do this in two different ways, or of course, in a combination of these two different ways. But let me first describe the extremes of these ways. The first way is through the indulgence of the flesh, that people live to serve the devil and his demons by indulging their flesh. They are told that if they are evil, if they do those things that are evil, either through the natural rebellion of humanity or because new things are presented to them to say that, you know, these are not things that we should be doing. And then after a person thinks about them for a little while, they become appealing and they just decide to try them out anyway. That is what I would describe as the indulgence of the flesh. And they serve the devil and his demons. They serve him by making themselves available to him to believe Whatever they tell us, and when we believe whatever they tell us, we live our lives according to that, and that becomes not a reflection of our God. It becomes a reflection of the devil and the demons who we believed. And of course, when it comes to open and outright sin, it's pretty obvious. That's easy to identify. What's more difficult to identify, though, and this is what I was explaining in the previous program, is that when a person pursues a life of what is good, that also can become an opportunity for a person to serve the devil and his demons, because the devil operates on the basis of what is both good and evil. Now, you might be wondering, well, my goodness, I thought that the conflict or the war was between the devil and God in terms of trying to get us to either be evil or good. Well, that's how it's often presented, but there is a third way of life that has nothing to do with being good or evil, it has to do with living a life of dependency, living a life of trust. And this is why it's so difficult for people to understand when I tell them that they are serving the devil and his demons when they're living a religious life. They have a hard time understanding that because they really believe that they are serving God. And this is very confusing to say otherwise. It's very confusing and it makes perfect sense. And the main reason why, of course, is because they do not know God and they do not know what it means to live a life that is separated from living a life according to what is good. They don't know what it means to live a life of trust, to live a life of faith. Their faith is expressed by them believing that if they obey the law, then they will be at peace. That is their faith. But their faith is in the law. It is not in God. Even though they may want it to be in God, it's still in the law. And as I explained in previous programs, you have no need for trusting God. There is no need to trust God when you have the law. There is no need to have faith in God when you have the law, because you've got the law. Just follow the law. I explained that in previous programs. 
In this program, though, I would like to further explain the sin that is expressed through trying to live a life of restraining the flesh, which sounds kind of like a contradiction. How can I say that sin will be expressed through the restraint of the flesh? When a person tries to get their flesh under control, supposedly that's done with the intent of reducing the amount of sin. But no, it actually increases the sin in a person's life. And this is a further explanation or revelation of what it means to serve the devil and his demons through religion, through trying to live a good life, through trying to do what is good by living according to the knowledge of good. What happens is, first of all, is that you have the manifestation of the sin of religious pride. That's one of the most profound sins. You have the sin of religious pride Because you will believe that you have found some way to obey the law in some respect. And so because of that, you can now compare yourself with those who are living a life of indulging their flesh or something in between. When you start making comparisons with yourself and other people, between yourself and other people, then you are expressing religious pride. That is sin. That is evil. When you believe that your God holds your sins against you through your failure then what you get to experience is you get to experience the disgust of God. He is ashamed of you. And when he is, when he is not accepting you, when he is not loving you, when he is not forgiving you, unless certain conditions are met, of course, but when he is not loving you because you have failed in your own mind, this separation exists This separation exists in your mind, but it's not real. Your God doesn't hold your sins against you anymore because he forgave your sins. But there are religious people who believe that he holds their sins against them regardless of what he did on the cross. Or that he's provided a new sacrificial system, such as confession or something like that, that they can now live by. My point, though, is is that when a person does not believe that their God loves them, when that's the case then they are not going to rest in the love and acceptance of God. And because they have a need for love and acceptance, they are going to find themselves being drawn into sin in some way to try to feel loved, to try to feel accepted, to try to get some peace in their heart because there's no way that they can get it with their God. And so this is how religion will stir up sin in a person's life, how the pursuit of restraining the flesh will eventually lead to the indulgence of the flesh because of the rejection of God that people believe in. They believe that he rejects them. And so as a result, more sin will be manifested within and through them, and they will be serving the devil and his demons. So I wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about this because I don't feel that I really completed that thought in the previous program to explain to you how more sin is produced either through the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh. Either way, it's still the way of the devil, which is the way of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, continuing into Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, But now, after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? And then he proceeds to talk about the law. 
Now, in verse 9, I have to take this a piece at a time. The first piece that I would like to address is the beginning where he says, but now, after you have known God. Now, this is a very serious statement, because for the most part, it's very unusual to find someone who knows God. It's very unusual. He is making the assumption that the people who he is writing to are people who already know God. And I believe it's a reasonable assumption, considering the fact that he has already had exposure to them. He's already talked with them. They know who he is. He knows who they are. It's reasonable to make that assumption that they have grown a little bit in their knowledge of the new covenant and their knowledge of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And so to an extent, they have begun their journey of knowing their God. But there are many people who believe they do and don't. And so it's difficult for those people to see the difference between what he is saying at the beginning of verse 9 and what he says at the end of verse 9 and in the verses following. It can be very difficult for people to be able to distinguish this idea of knowing God and yet they are still living their lives according to the law. What, what does that mean? How can people put that together? And the reason why it's so difficult is because he is writing this to people who he knows already know God to a certain degree. So if a person who does not know God in the way that the Galatians did, to that little degree that they probably knew him, if a person hasn't even made it that far, then they're not going to have any idea what he's talking about here. Now, I can testify of this personally. I remember reading this letter without knowing God. I remember reading this letter before I understood forgiveness, before I understood what it meant to be set free from the law. And I can tell you personally that when I studied this chapter back then, I had no idea what he was talking about. I I just simply had no idea. I knew that there was something here, and I knew that, that one day my God would reveal to me what was here. I could trust him with that. I knew I could trust him with that. But at that time... I I couldn't see anything. I had no idea what he was talking about. So if you're in that condition, I understand you have to start with the subject of forgiveness. Listen to the programs I did on forgiveness. Listen to the programs I did on spiritual warfare. Listen to the programs that I have described in the second section of my archive. All of those programs are there for the purpose of getting you up to the point of being able to understand what I'm describing here. But for those of you who know him to a certain degree, You know him a little bit. You can proceed and you can really appreciate much more what I am about to say. There is a big difference between knowing your God and being known by your God. There is a difference between the two. There is a substantial difference. And this can be very frightening for people, especially for those who are religious. And what I mean by religious is an individual who is devoted to living their life, to trying to restrain their flesh. This can be very frightening because if they are living, if you are living your life trying to restrain your flesh, you know that you have failed. You know that you're not doing so well, if you're going to be honest. And so you know deep down inside that your God is ashamed of you. You know he's embarrassed. That would be the only conclusion. That's the only possible conclusion For an individual who does not rest in the forgiveness of sins, who is extremely religious, extremely devoted, very sincere, very committed to trying to live according to the law or according to what is good, according to what is right, but knowing that they have not succeeded, 
They have to confess, deep down inside, they have to acknowledge that their God is ashamed of them. And if you're one of those people, you can probably think of it in this way. You could think of it as if I went to heaven. Let's say I go to heaven before you do and I speak with God. I sit down and I talk with him and I have various questions that I would like to ask him and he addresses those questions very politely and in a way that I can understand. And after a while, I decide to ask him about some of the people who I had exposure to while I was here in this world. And and I ask him about you. What do you suppose that conversation would be like if I, if I was to talk to God about you? And I asked him, so tell me, do you... Do you know this person? You know, I knew this person. This is their name. This is where they lived. This is what they did. And this is other people who they knew. You can probably get in touch with uh, who I'm talking about. So tell me, God, what can you tell me about this person? How do you feel about this person? What do you know about this person? What do you really know about them? What do you think he would say to me? I would probably expect him according to the theology that he still holds your sins against you in some way, I would expect him to say something like, yeah, yeah, I, I know that person, but uh, let's, let's talk about somebody else. You know, perhaps he would actually pretend not to know you. He would probably want to talk about something else, somebody else, anybody but you, because you know deep down inside because of that sin or those sins that you still struggle with, that you're a real embarrassment to him. And so he probably doesn't want to know you. And because he's God, if he doesn't want to know you, why should he? He can just say, I don't really know who he is. That's the importance of considering not just knowing your God, but also considering the fact that he knows you. You see, if he still holds your sins against you, you don't want him to know you until you get those sins worked out, of course. But if you understand that he does not hold your sins against you, you have nothing to fear to know that he knows you. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. You have no reason to be ashamed because he loves you and he accepts you right where you are, right in the circumstances that you are in, with the struggles that you are having. He is doing a work within you, and perhaps one day he will help you overcome some of those sins in your life, but maybe he won't. And he knows. He knows everything about who you are and what you're dealing with. And even in the midst of that, he is revealing to you who he is so that you might know who he is. And as he reveals himself to you, you are going to be confronted with the reality that he knows you. He has to know you. If he's going to say something to you, he's got to know who you are. If he's going to reveal something to you, something that you can understand, he's got to know who you are and he's got to know what you do understand, what you can handle, what you can comprehend. There is a knowledge of God and people are afraid of that and for good reason. Because if you still believe that he holds your sins against you, you are afraid. You had better be afraid. And if you're not, then may God help you because you are living in a total absolute fantasy thinking that he holds your sins against you and yet you have nothing for him to hold against you. He does. There's plenty if that's the case. It's a complete contradiction. So him knowing you is another way of considering the implications of forgiveness. 
It's another way of considering the seriousness of knowing your God. Because when you know Him, when you discover Him, when He reveals something to you at the same time, He is also revealing to you what He knows about you in addition to what He wants you to know about Him. You know, this matter of God knowing you is a very serious one. Jesus spoke with his disciples about this. He said, there will come a day when people will call upon him and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we work great miracles in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. And you know, that is something to be terrified of. To a religious person, it can be very frightening to think that God really knows them. But to one who knows him in light of his forgiveness, it can be a very frightening thing to discover that he does not know them. If I go before my God and he looks at me and he says, I don't know who you are, I can think of nothing else that would be more terrifying than that. Nothing that would be more terrifying than that. You know, I personally believe that God knows me because of the things that he has shared with me. When I read through the scriptures and he illuminates a verse to me and he shows me something that I know had to come from him, could only have come from him. This is something that I never saw before, regardless of how many times, over how many years I read that same passage, that same chapter. I had no idea what was really there until that moment. When he reveals something, when he illuminates something, when I pray just simply through having conversation with him in the quietness of my heart and he responds and shares something with me that I know, I know could have only come from him, it is then that I have a moment where I know that he knows me. It is in those moments that he testifies to me that he knows me. He knows me well enough to say something that I can understand. And he knows me well enough not to say something that I won't be able to understand. So when Jesus said, I will say to those, I don't know them. I don't know who you are. That was a very serious statement. It's a very powerful statement. Who are those who he will not know? Those who don't believe him. Those are the ones that he won't know. Now, how is it that a person does not believe God? How is it that that happens? Well, that's an easy thing to occur. You know lots of people. I'm sure you know lots of people who don't believe God or may not believe very many things that he has revealed. You know those people. What do they believe? Well, they believe something that is different from what he has revealed. They believe a bunch of lies. They believe things that are not true. Their life is a reflection of what they believe that is not true and how they live is a reflection of pure fantasy. It is a reflection of nothing. You know, when people do not believe the truth, they have nothing firm to stand on. They have nothing firm to believe in. They might believe in a single lie. They might believe in something that is not true and hold to that no matter what. But you know, when they get confronted with things that show that what they believe isn't true and they deny They deny what they are confronted with. What do you know about this person? I mean, when you are spending time with an individual who lives in denial of reality, can you say that you really know this person? You don't really know this person. 
You know this person on the basis of their deception, on the basis of their ignorance, on the basis of the absence of the truth. What do you know about this person? You know this person believes things that aren't true. You know that this person might really want to believe these things that aren't true. But do you really know who this person is? This person is not really a person who is knowable. You see, without the truth, without reality, a person is not knowable because there is nothing there to know. There is nothing but fantasy. There is nothing but lies, but deception. How long will it be before they recognize that and then they start believing things that are different but are still not the truth? You know, there are people who I know who every year or two, they've got some new philosophy, they've got some new way of life, they've got some new way of looking at things. You know, there's people who I know who change their attitudes and change their beliefs two or three times a day, depending upon who they're around. You know, they might be around one person who has certain beliefs and convictions, and so they they alter their character in such a way that they pretend to share those same beliefs and convictions with that person, and then when they leave that person or that person leaves and they go hang out with another person, then they sort of conform to the beliefs and attitudes of that person. I know people who do this on a daily basis, in a matter of hours, let alone in a matter of years, and so how can you say you really know them? How do you know them? You know them on the basis of lies, on the basis of deceptions, on the basis of fantasy. This is not a stable individual. This is not a living person, a living person in the sense that they have direction, they have purpose, they have fortitude. They are not a person who can truly be knowable because they morph, they change. So when God says that he does not know an individual because they do not believe him, when he says that he does not know them, that can mean a number of things. It can mean that they are an individual who morphs. They can be an individual who changes depending on who they're around, whether they are with God or whether they are with their best friends or whether they are with their children or with their parents or whomever. So how can he say that he knows them? Because they can change, they can morph. The only thing that will be consistent, the one thing that will be consistent, is their emptiness, is what they don't have is their condition of being spiritually dead, is their condition of having these huge needs, but none of them are being met. He cannot know someone who is vacuous, who has no substance, who is not a resurrected living person who lives on the basis of something real, of something true. So when a person believes God, they believe something that he has revealed. And when they believe something, when you believe something that he has revealed that is true, and when you embrace that, when you trust in that, when you live your life on the basis of that, when you live with conviction and sincerity and fortitude on the basis of the truth that God has revealed, then you become knowable to God. It is only then that he can say he knows who you are because you are a person who has substance now. You are a person who has life within them, who is living their life according to the truth that has been manifested and has been revealed. 
He knows you in the sense that you have embraced something that he knows you will never let go of. You will never deny. You will never morph away from. You will never reject. And so there will be substance. There will be consistency. And so when he says he knows you on that basis, he can say that with confidence and with an eternal power, an eternal word of I know who you are. Not a word of, well, I kind of know you now, but we'll see who you are in a couple weeks or a couple months. Because you might change, you know, you might believe something different. And at that point, you're just not who I thought you were before. You know, I personally have experienced some dramatic changes over my lifetime. Who I was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago is totally different from who I am now. And I hope and I pray that who I will be 10 years from now 20 years from now, and if I continue to live 30 or 40 years from now, I pray that I will not be who I am today. I do pray that I will be conformed to his image more and more, that I will trust him more and more, that I will believe him more and more. And I believe that if I will believe and trust in him and have faith in him, that he will continue to do a work within me such that I will be changed. I will be transformed. But will that change the way that he knows me? It will not. Because he knows me for who I am in him. He knows me for what I do believe that is true. And so over the course of time between now and then, whenever then is, between now and then, as I do change, as I do morph in that abstract sense, I will change in a way that he will know me more because I will know him more and what I know of him will become a part of who I am. And that will be the fundamental building blocks that he will use within my being to change and transform me to the extent that he will know me more, not less. Because he is the one who does the change. He is the one who transforms. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net